Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. This evening, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and it's not going to be a 45-minute sermon, I promise, Um, but I do want to offer a Christmas meditation before we partake of the Lord's Supper, and in just a few moments, our church will partake in the, the Supper, the Lord's Supper. It's a symbolic way of proclaiming the gospel. It's a way of preaching the gospel to ourselves, saying that God has made us His and made us one by graciously rescuing, rescuing us from the death we deserve by dying in our place. At Christmas, God came down to take our place in death. He came to conquer death in His resurrection and to give new and everlasting life to all who trust in Him and wait for His triumphant return. And because His body was broken in death, I live. Because His blood was poured out in death and accepted by the Father as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin, I live. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, therefore, that the Lord's Supper is not to be taken lightly. We have no hope apart from what is symbolized in the Supper. We have no hope apart from, by faith, spiritually ingesting Jesus. In salvation, the Spirit unites us with Jesus in His death and His resurrection, saving us for God and placing us into a family called His church. And as we keep trusting Jesus, one way we demonstrate ongoing faith in Him is by coming together as His church to eat the supper and declare that our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. So this evening, if you have not yet trusted in Christ, If you don't yet belong to Him by faith, if you've not yet been baptized and are not walking in fellowship with a local church, then I'm going to respectfully ask that when we partake of the supper as a church that you would just simply let those elements pass you by. We won't shine the spotlight on you. No, we're not. No one's going to make fun of you. But the supper is a a family meal. Paul warns us about taking the supper without discerning the body, meaning with little or no regard for the church. He even warns us that people who are taking the supper in this way are doing so in an unworthy manner and are therefore dying. So as I conclude this meditation, I want you to understand it is perfectly all right to let the elements of the Lord's Supper pass you by. If you are here and you are not in Christ, if you are here and you've not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, the last thing you need is the Lord's Supper. What you need is the Lord. And then you can understand and appreciate the Supper. With that in the way of introduction and caveat, I want to remind us why we celebrate Christmas. I want to be sure that we know that the silent night that we're going to sing about would do us no good without an afternoon some 33 years later when the world went dark and the Son of God cried out in agony and victory, it is finished. We sing silent night because without that first supposedly silent night, I think Jesus cried, but anyway, without the first supposedly silent night, there would be no one to silence the agony of our sin. The reason we celebrate Christmas 
is not ultimately the angels or the manger or the shepherds or the magi. We celebrate Christmas because God came down to be conceived in Mary, to be born and to live and to die as a man. With this in mind, I think Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, helps us wrap our mind around the significance of Christmas this evening. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, he's picking up a thought from earlier in the book, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, those who like Abraham have faith in God's Son. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Would you bow with me? God, help us in the brief moments to come to internalize and appreciate what you've done for humanity in Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Prior to this passage, when we break into this passage in Hebrews, the author has been explaining that Jesus is God the Son. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than anything else. This Son is God. And yet somehow this Son is going to be a human king with a kingdom filled with flesh and blood people, God's people, forever. But, but how is it that God's Son who is God, can have people as brothers and sisters in a congregation committed to the worship of God forever. He tells us just a few verses prior to the one we just read. And how is it that sinners can become God's people anyway? Since you know that's the problem. Sinners deserve everlasting death and separation from God's loving presence because they are sinners after all. These are the implied questions behind the the verses we've just read. And the answer to these questions is Christmas. Or more specifically, the answer is the incarnation of God, that God became a man. At Christmas, God came down and wrapped himself in our humanity, or as verse 14 puts it, he shared in our flesh and blood. God became a man, a real man. Luke stamps says it like this, in his incarnation, the Son of God assumed a complete human nature, body, soul, mind, and will, into personal union with himself. As a human, therefore, Jesus experienced all the ordinary, non-sinful limitations of humanity. He grew, he developed, he experienced hunger, thirst, weariness, and the full range of human emotions. The humanity that humans have always had a share in, Jesus fully entered into by being conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. By taking on flesh and blood, God the Son partook in the stuff of being human as a human. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, God had his bottom wiped. God was burped. God learned how to walk. The eternal and uncreated God gained a mother. God grew up. God slept and ate and breathed and walked dusty roads and went fishing and learned to talk and to read. He wept and he grieved and he laughed and he had a favorite meal. 
And the only thing standing between you and your favorite meal right now is this pastor who won't be quiet. At Christmas, God came down to us, and so we celebrate him as Emmanuel, as the promised Emmanuel. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to send a deliverer and rightful king of true Israel and to gather people from all nations who would follow him as the rightful king of the world. And because of Christmas, God is therefore not up there, out there somewhere, but with and for us. But we can't enjoy this promise of Emmanuel, God with us, knowing and enjoying his presence with us. We can't enjoy it unless we reckon with why God had to come at Christmas in the first place. And in verse 14, we get the answer. Why did God come? He came to die. God the Son came, became a man to die because it was only through his death, verse 14, that the devil and death, who wields power through death, could be destroyed or rendered powerless. Satan is focused on opposing the glorification of Jesus, of God's Son, and his strategy is what? To destroy lives. He is the one who came to steal and kill and destroy, but God gives life and he gives it abundantly by giving his Son to die. If God could somehow remove death from the equation, he would upend Satan's power. He would make a way for us to live not in the fear of death, but in the awe of God, which is what we were made to do in the first place. But what in the world could overcome human death and our slavery to it? How in the world do you overcome death? People die and they don't live again. They, they die and it's done. This is why people fear death. And so what it was going to take to undo human death was a power superior to death. And the one who has superior superior power to death is God himself. So the first thing we see in this text is that Jesus is that superior power. He is God in the flesh. He brings a power greater than death and the devil. Praise God. In a world where there's really only two things that you can count on for sure, death and taxes, and usually even taxes after death, we need a power greater than Satan or the IRS. And because Jesus is God, he has the power even to undo human death. But to do so, he would have to become a human. We know he had the power to undo death because he didn't stay dead. He's raised from the dead. Jesus says in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. God came down to lay down his life to rescue you from death. But Jesus doesn't just have a superior power, he's also a sinless person. Since Adam, we've all been born in sin, deserving of death and separation from God's loving presence. So for someone to die and overcome death by their death, they would have to therefore not deserve death. Praise God, Jesus isn't just a superior power, but a sinless person. They would have to be more than a good person. You know good people, good guys. The guy at the office, he's just always funny, he's always good, he's always got a joke. That's not good enough. Jesus says, unless you are perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, you will not see the kingdom of God. Jesus is the sinless person who has all the perfections of God the Father. We read about this sinless 
person in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, just a couple of pages over. The author says this, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, as God, has the superior power to upend death. Jesus, as the sinless person, has the perfection required to live with God forever. Human death could only be overcome by the power of God and by a man undeserving of death who was nevertheless willing to die for sinners. Because of Christmas, death has been destroyed. And those who trust in Jesus no longer need to fear. Now we begin to understand why the angel would say to the shepherds in Luke 2.10, if an angel showed up to me in a field near Bethlehem at nighttime keeping my sheep, I'd be a little bit afraid. Why do they say, don't be afraid? Because they bring good news of great joy that's for all the people. And here's the good news. Jesus came to undo death. He came to overcome the wrath of God and the separation from God that comes by our sin by becoming a human to die a human death and overcome it in his resurrection. Jesus didn't die for himself. He didn't die for his sins. He didn't have any sins. He died to destroy death for all who turn from their sin and trust in him. He can save sinners, and that's good news. He can save people who are not just a little bit bad, but people who are far from God, far from perfect, deserving of death. Why? Because he's not just a superior power and a sinless person, but finally we see in this text that he is a special priest. Jesus is a superior power. He's a sinless person. And finally, he is a special priest. In the Old Testament, priests would offer the sacrifices of animals for the sins of the people, but the people kept sinning and the animals kept having to be slaughtered. Hebrews tells us that no animal's death could destroy death. But you see, within the system of Old Testament sacrifice, there's a, a hidden promise. There's a, a promise that a special priest would come, a, a better priest would come, and he would make an offering that would end the need for sacrifices forever. How is this possible? He would offer a sacrifice that would change sinners on the inside. It wouldn't just cover their sins and pay it forward. It would transform them inwardly and make them into God's people, hungry for the glory of God. And it would put an end to the claim of death upon their lives once for all. Here's why Jesus' death is good news for all who trust in him. He did not come and offer a calf or a goat or a lamb. He offered himself. Jesus He's not just the priest, he's the offering. He took the sin of the world upon his shoulders. A priest represents people to God. And when Jesus died, he died to represent people who deserve to die before a holy God. And here's what Jesus said to God. God, you treat me like I am them, so you can treat them like they are me. Cancel their death. Cancel your righteous wrath against their sin. Pour it all out on me. Let me absorb every drop of your righteous anger towards sin. Conquer their death through my resurrection so that they may have life in me. Let the unfaithful be made faithful through me. Let the unfaithful come to you, Father. 
Father, let the reward of my perfect faithfulness to you be a merciful canceling out of their sin. Father, let's do this. Let me represent them. Let me take their place in death. For sinners to be rescued, we needed a priest who could represent us before God in death and then never die again. Jesus had to become a man so that men could be represented before God and the price of men's sin could be paid in human blood. John Piper puts it this way, for Jesus to suffer and die, he had to plan it way ahead of time because as God, he could not die. He's immortal. He didn't have any body. He could not die and yet he wanted to die for you. So he planned the whole thing by clothing himself with a body at Christmas. The incarnation is the preparation of the nerve endings for nails. That is what the incarnation is. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to press through. He needed to have a broad back so there was a place for the whip. He needed to have feet so that there was a place for the spikes. He needed to have a side so there was a place for the sword to go in. He needed to have cheeks, fleshly cheeks, so that Judas would have a place to kiss. And there would be enough room for the spit to run down that the soldiers put upon him. He needed a brain and a spinal column with no vinegar and no gall so that the exquisiteness of the pain could be fully felt so that sinners thereby might be saved. Jesus, verse 17 says, had to be made like us in every respect so that we could be saved. And at Christmas, that's exactly what God did. We can be saved because Jesus offered himself to make propitiation, verse 17, for the sins of the people. Propitiation means it's ongoing. He keeps on begging the Father on the basis of what he did on the cross to not look at our sin and to look at him. Propitiation includes forgiveness, but it's more than that. It means that Jesus took upon himself God's rightful wrath and punishment for our sin. Al Mohler says it this way, At the cross, God poured out His wrath against sinners on Jesus, thereby satisfying God's demand for just just punishment of sin. Thus, God's wrath was satisfied and His righteousness was vindicated. Jesus, church, is not inactive in heaven. He is advocating on behalf of those who believe in Him right now. If you are in Christ by faith, Paul says, who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? Is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and he also intercedes for us. So this Christmas Eve, as we come to the table, if you belong to Christ Jesus, I want to remind you that your sins, past, present, and future, have been cleansed by Jesus He has conquered the grave for you. He's absorbed the wrath of God for you. He's paid the price of your sin with his own bloody death. And this is all possible because of Christmas. Because of Christmas, there's no fear of the future. And there's not just fear, no fear of the future. There's real help right now. Maybe you're struggling this evening. Maybe you're 
confused or conflicted this evening, I call you back to the cross of Christ who faced everything that you will ever face. He faced every temptation and he conquered it. Place your faith in this God who take your place on the cross and walk with him through faith in Christ, the God of superior power, the only sinless human being ever, and our special high priest gave himself in our place so that those who've been unfaithful can come. With that in mind, would you pray with me as our deacons make preparation for the Lord's Supper? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Son. King Jesus, we, we confess how easy it is to get caught up in the trappings of the Christmas season and to, to miss the King of Christmas. But God, in this moment, we, we ask that you would draw us back to what really matters. God, that you would fix our eyes and our gaze on Christ. And Spirit of God, for the glory of the Son, that we would leave here today, not, not just going through the motions and doing the next churchy thing, but God, the confession of our hearts and our lips and our lives as we partake of the, the bread and the cup is that because Jesus died and lives, I can live. God, we thank you that you welcome the unfaithful to be made faithful in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.